to Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi. All right, um, welcome to the new episode, Yoshiden. I mean, it's okay to say where we are, Chris? Yeah. Pas- yeah, we're in Pasadena. Okay. Lovely Pasadena, California. One of my favorite <laughs> um, town in California. I like it because it's very similar to Malibu for me in that it's still within reach of Los Angeles, but it's far enough that you could have different experience from L.A., uh, it doesn't have that some of the ugliness associated with Los Angeles. Right. Uh, Malibu, uh, Malibu, obviously, is uh, far enough. P- uh, Pacific Coast Highway is going to protect you from L.A. Mm-hmm. And Pasadena, it's a beautiful beautiful town. You know, you have Caltech, unbelievable collection of um, important architectural buildings within town. It, there is some segment of old money. It's very interesting, mysterious little hidden gem. In, in, it's, in, in, it's it's weird. It's weird too because it's like an interesting like mix of people too. Mm-hmm. It's like there's no dominant ethnicity in in Pasadena. It's no. it's a mishmash of everything, which is like most of California, but in particular here, and it feels like the Midwest, at least to me, yeah. Pasadena, because it's very unpretentious and it's like this is. I, I like it because it's. There's no one from the entertainment industry here. You're not going to like walk by a coffee shop and see someone working on their screenplay yeah. or some actors hanging around uh, doing nothing, reading scripts and whatnot. It's very removed and it's a good mix of just normal work. I, I like it because it's the most normal part of L.A., whereas there's like certain enclaves of L.A. that are just like, um, I don't know, more entertainment industry driven. So not really my scene. Yeah. I do, it can I, get irritating to be around it all the time. I want to have like a normal life and then work in entertainment. But I look on it. I've always looked on it as just like a, a normal job, like a job. Sure. You go, and it's definitely not. If you're going to be successful at it, you can't treat it that way. I mean, that's certainly a lesson that that I, I keep not learning. <laughs> but I, I, going back, yeah, that's why I like Pasadena. And I could be wrong, but it just seems like. Per capita, you probably have more uh, well-educated people here in Pasadena. Uh, you, you, it, it, I feel like there's more readers. You know, like when you go to places like San Francisco and Seattle, it feels like people read. Mm-hmm. And I think you get that in Pasadena. And I, I like the general vibe. What is this podcast? Is this a podcast about traveling to different towns? No, I mean, it's just like... <laughs> uh, people always complain like what's your podcast about like yeah what I, is your podcast about you I just uh, my, my my whole point was I'm complaining on the podcast about yeah. what your podcast is about so for I, all I, you I, so for I, all the listeners out there that have complained about what is Yoshi's Yoshi didn't about I am complaining for you I always talk about things that interest me and I think, I think sometimes people get angry about that is it like comedy this and that but do you remember what was the name of the show? Mystery Science 3000? Yeah, Mystery Science Theater yeah. 3000. Brilliant show. Brilliant show. I love it. And somebody asked a creator one time, like, well, doesn't it bother you or does it worry you that most people don't get the references in a show? You know, he make all this kind of... Like, right. And he said, like, well, I'm not doing the show for those people. So if they don't like what I talk about or don't get the references... Oh. I, I'm. <laughs> well, I like, I'm never really give a shit about that. You know? I know. I, I like. I like when there's a reference that like mm-hmm. is like, oh, I didn't know that, or yeah. that. Um, I don't know. I like something where I'll 
actually learn from it. Yeah, somebody was complaining because one time I was talking to Mark Jones, who you met. Mm-hmm. We are talking Walking Dead. What, what the fuck would you talk about Walking Dead? This is not a show about Walking Dead. Like, well, that's something I'm into. Like, if you don't like it, just don't listen to right, it. You know? Right, right. Wait, did we introduce me even? I see Chris Gore. Oh, did you really? Oh, yeah. It's probably going to be on the name of the podcast. Most likely. Oh, okay. That's cool. All right. <laughs> I didn't catch it. We started talking about Pasadena right away. I mean, I'm ending the show. You know, it's like it's kind of too late. No, this but is weird. I should, yeah. So, 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 Yoshi, wait, wait, but, I, but, I kind I, of ended my podcast. So I used to, do but you haven't podcast. released your last episode. Yeah, I, I, I actually have like maybe 15, 20 episodes, kind of just sitting in a folder yeah. that I need to edit and post. I'm just not motivated. And actually, it was that's um, another problem. I don't edit. I just put exactly what it is. I'm see, I some, should start I, doing that. I should just start doing that. Like, I should have no production value on my podcast. You've inspired me. I, I think most people want to hear what kind of conversation you actually have with your friend, and like right. they're just like almost like sitting in a room having a conversation. But I never liked that radio. It's like, welcome to the KJR Blue Nine Fifty. You know that fake voice? Yeah, I, I, hate, I, that. I, I hate that. I hate that. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, I mean, I, there are periods where I sort of ramped up the production value of my podcast because I have like an opening scene. My podcast was Pod Crash, yeah. which is I haven't done an episode in over a year. But I still don't want to say that it's over because I have these 15 or 20 and there's a lot of things that I want to say, but I really needed to take a break and just like get my shit together on a number of levels. And now I feel like I've done that, but I'm so happy now. The idea of actually going back and doing another podcast just doesn't, it just, I, and I know a lot of people, I mean, this is the thing, like there were so many podcasts and I think there's still, there are too many podcasts. I feel like, I feel like there are more people making podcasts than listening to podcasts. And every time, I mean, it's like the, did you see the new Mad Max movie, Mad Max Fury Road? There's a great line in it where one of the, one of the, one of the characters says, it was back then in a time where everyone had a show. And it's, we do live in this age where with Periscope, with social media, sharing yeah. your experiences on social media, with podcasts, with YouTube channels, we're the most overly oversharing culture and so uh, that's ever existed. And for some reason, I've always seen myself as sort of the opposite of what the dominant culture is doing, I tend to retreat to the opposite thing. I've noticed this about myself because I'm working on a couple things. One, I did, you know, I stopped doing my podcast, but I got the rights back to Film Threat and I did... By the way, by the way, uh, there are are too many podcasts. There are too many podcasts. There's too many. I feel like now I'm unique being a comedian and a writer who doesn't have a podcast. Well, you because did, that, you, because that's that's like I did about a hundred and six or so episodes, a little over a hundred. Once I got over a hundred, which I felt was a milestone, I just didn't really care. I thought I did a hundred episodes. You know, I'm proud of like a couple of those episodes. It was nominated for awards, but there was there was no reason to continue it because it just wasn't it wasn't it wasn't netting me any I, money. I have to say, Chris, you haven't made any money on your podcast, have you? I, I mean, there's the top podcasts, the top ones, and the ones that make those top podcasts, those are like the networks. And I never made I never made any money from sponsored things like that, but I have people right. donating money. That's right. the only way I ever made money. Right. But um, a few times I said, like, I'm, I'm really hurt for cash, and please donate. And people those donated? Are, yeah. Well, that's cool. I need the money right now, too, but I mean, I need the damn thing. But um, right. well, going back to you, you did everything kind of backward compared to other traditional stand-up comedians 
uh, career track, which is you were on TV first, and you later on thought about doing stand up. So most comedians start with nothing, and they do stand up hoping that they'll get on TV. And you know, you I know you don't think it's I don't know, but it's, it's you act, you act like it was not a big deal, but. I was always blown away like how comfortable and good you were when you're interviewing people like Angelina Jolie and things like that. Uh, yeah, Jenny I just Depp. just the thing is is I never aspired to be on TV. I just someone thought That's always better that way. Someone thought some of my writing was funny and then said you should be on TV and it was like my resisting it and not that? wanting to do it. Um, it was a producer named um, Ken Crosby who I believe is Paul F. Tompkins' manager now. Uh, but Ken Crosby is wow. a producer from Politically Incorrect. He was working on a show called The X Show. I didn't know this. Yeah. Ken Crosby was working on a show. Ken Crosby also knew... He knew me. I didn't know him. He knew me from doing Film Threat. And he would read the Film Threat reviews and just think they were funny. And he produced an independent film, which... Oh, man, I can't... What is the name of this in indie film? I'll, I'll, I'll have to look it up. It's a it, Before the end of the show, I'll tell you what. It was a brilliant indie film that I wrote about on my website and that's not why we met but like he brought me in because he was working on the X show which was basically FX Network's ripoff of The Man Show The Man Show was Comedy Central The X show was a daily version I completely missed this I forgot this so so Ken Crosby brought me in to do an audition to be their movie guy yeah and I remember coming in and I was writing I was writing a book at the time and I was really busy I said I'm which book was it I think it was the film festival ultimate film festival survival guide so I was writing this book by the way which is like where many of the colleges studying film well ironically for someone never went to film school yeah but it's a weird like I have this weird thing where I've done Mm -hmm. things in academia Academia. I've done like serious film stuff, and I do stand up. But I don't know that I've been successful in any of these things. You know, frankly, um, if I look at my bank account, I would say that that's it's definitely not true. May like I, I've survived. May I add something? What? May I add something? <laughs> if I may. Uh, yes, you may. Because you know, sometimes I forget when you do my show that I forget it's my show. All right. Um, yes, it's your show. Some of the stand-up comedians get very angry because some of them are actually quite good, very, very funny. Mm-hmm. They're very angry because they're frustrated they're not doing well in career. Right. But they don't know that there is the stand-up comedy portion of it, plus there's also the entertainment part of it, which is the business side. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, if you were shameless... And I think if you would have been better at like schmoozing and kissing people's asses, right, Chris? I'm terrible at that. <laughs> You're ter- really terrible at it. No, I agree with. I you. think you could be, but that's not your nature. I don't think. No, I'm not. Not that I'm not to kissing people's asses. It's just that I feel like I can't. I'm I'm good at bullshitting when it comes to certain situations, like crashing a party yeah. or doing, or but when it comes to just being, I, I just I being can't phony? I can't have. I, 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 I like to be genuine, and yeah, I can't have... That's the problem. I, I'm terrible at being strategic when it comes to... Um, I'm terrible at being strategic when it comes to relationships, which is how you succeed in Hollywood. Yeah. So, for But, for example, I would say... I, I don't uh, want to name names because... Uh, well, I would say that like someone like a Chris Hardwick is extremely good at being strategic, not just with like his relationships, but dating and just everything. Like That guy is always strategic mm-hmm. when it comes to friendships, from my observation. Yeah. And when I would see him, like... So, I am terrible at that. That's a skill that I just don't have and so that explains 
probably. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the guy, but I, 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 I've never met him. I, I've seen him around, um, but I have to admit, when he was in Gratland like a year ago, I thought he was very um, frank, shockingly. Yeah, good. I didn't think that was his um, nature because he, I can't remember, he said something about some comedian that was like, ah, that person's really me, I don't want to be associated with that person. Right. Anyway. Anyway, so so I was basically just brought in as a as to be this film guy, and, and you were within, already living there within like, within like yeah mm-hmm. within like a few months of doing the show. They liked it. They liked it, and they said, "Hey, we want to develop a show, a movie review show." And then I did the new movie show, and that was for FX. It lasted like six months. It was like a roundtable. It was like politically incorrect for movies, and this was. Well, in can like I ask you, so the don't, you have a, don't, you, don't you have a relationship with FX then? Uh, well, back then, but see, this is this is um, unscripted television. Now FX only does scripted. Oh, so so then I did a show, a travel show called Festival Pass for Stars, and then that led to doing another show for IFC called Ultimate Film Fanatic, where I was a I was a game show host for two seasons, and then that you were not led, nervous when you did any of this TV stuff in the beginning. No, because I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Like I don't. I developed this really because I was bullied when I was a kid. When I was bullied for being a nerd. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I joke that I was called faggot ten million times in high school, but never sucked a cock. So right. that, I mean, because I was bullied, you, my way of mm-hmm. dealing with bullies was to not care what they thought and the more I didn't care what they thought it made them frustrated yeah. after a while because what they're looking for is the reaction and if a bully can get a reaction out of you then he's won right so I sort of took it the same way like I don't care I don't want to be on TV it doesn't matter to me so every situation I would get in like that it was it was just sort of my protective shield of just like I don't care and it's like it's like I say I, in my stand up I say you know a who gives a shit attitude is like a cologne that attracts a vagina right. but also a who gives shit attitude is like that allows you to kind of just like challenge yourself and to do things that um, you might not thought were possible like when I wrote my first book like I just came up with a regimen to do it and I didn't I didn't let the big idea of it scare me from doing it yeah I just sort of like came up with a with a plan and uh, executed it it's I mean it's pretty simple it's you just come up with a really detailed outline for a book you write you get up. I think it's always good to get up early in the morning when you're kind of groggy, yeah. And and actually just write, you know, like just your 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 thoughts and whatever. It depends on the type of book. So that, that and then and then if you do that every day for about two months, um, getting up early, write for no more than three hours. After three hours, stop because you're just not going to get any more good out of yourself. If you write between a thousand and three thousand words, within two months you have enough content for a book. The average book is about fifty to sixty thousand words. I just told you how to write a book, and that's how I've written. I've written like I don't know four editions of the film festival book and other books, and I'm working on a book right now about film threats. So um, that one's more di- the most difficult because it's more personal. So it's the hardest book I've ever had to write. Whereas the other books weren't about me; they were about other subjects, and that's easy for me to write about because I'm disconnected. I want, I want you to talk more about that in a second, but um, yeah. It's these days. 
uh, if you go to all the different conventions, it's so fascinating being a nerd. But you were do, you were a nerd. I was what? a nerd when it wasn't cool. It was, I was not nerd, cool at all. It wasn't cool, and I was, I mean, I was, but the thing is this, the thing that saved me was I had a sense of humor. Yeah. So after a while, I endeared myself to some of the bullying jocks because. Same story here. Because I was funny. So because I was funny and I was a class clown and I would do, you know, look, I would suffer the wrath of teachers because I thought of a good joke to say in class or I would challenge teachers who I thought were full of crap. So so that endeared me to groups. So I was kind of in this middle thing where I was a nerd, bullied sometimes, but then also like generally liked by I had friends in in all groups. Like I had nerd friends, but I wasn't extreme nerdy. Like I didn't play Dungeons and Dragons or yeah. you know, I wasn't socially awkward. So I was a nerd in the sense that I liked Star I did, I did yeah. play that. I liked Star Wars, I liked yeah. Star Trek, I read comic books, I collected comic books, I had model kits, I, I was an indoor kid, you know, I played video games, like I was in all that stuff. I was not into sports, but I liked sports watching sports. I liked like the NFL. You know, like I loved is I love the spectacle of the Super Bowl. So I would watch. I started watching Super Bowl when I was like eight or nine years old, and I've watched every Super Bowl since. I just, I like that nature of it, you know? Sure. Uh, I, 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 and there's also like, I like also, but also I look at sports differently than most people. For me, football is the, is the most homoerotic of all sports. If you listen to the language, if you just listen to football sports announcers, it sounds like they're announcing gay porn. I mean, he got full penetration right up the middle. There's about ten guys in that pile. If, if you just don't look at the television, take put on a gay porn. Okay, so all listeners of, of Yoshi didn't. Put a, find some really good gay pornography. Put it on, like, your computer or another screen. Then turn on the audio from a football game and just... Packers versus 49ers. Packers versus 49ers. Like, that guy in that pile, he just drove that right in. I mean, you're going to find some interesting contrasts. So this is my recommendation is to, to, you know, whether you're straight or gay, it doesn't matter. Watch gay porn and then listen to a football game. It's super gay. The other thing is, is the guys all wear spandex. And also the affection that, like, is shown on the field. I mean, that's in every sport. Grabbing guys' butts, showering together. Um, these are all things... I, I have no interest in showering with a bunch of guys. At this, point, no, at this point. And when I hug at this a guy. Point, nobody's listening to the podcast. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Everybody tuned out. <laughs> but no, but like, when I hug a guy, I pretty much just do that shoulder bro hug. I don't really do that full hug. A full hug, I will. With a female, I will do that. But with a guy friend, I can't. I don't this know pretty much explains why you're during this podcast it's completely really, naked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know. Chris, go, going back. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Going, I got uh, off on a tangent. Um, I, I want to know here more about Film Threat, because I think we were... I, I, tr I wanted you to talk about that a little bit more about a um, couple years well, back. Well, there's a couple... I mean, because no one's but, listening. But, but, but because you, no one's listening, I might as well say. But did you start... You started in high school, right? Film I started threat. it in high school. When, Why you, when did you start? Though? Your first year, the one you it did? It was like at the end of high school, I wanted to do a fanzine, because I was involved with these... But what year is this? 80... This is like 83. Oh, my God. 
God. So 83. So you were doing fanzine in 83? Well, I was a huge reader of fanzines. Like, but they didn't have any magazine like that back t- then? T- well, not for film. There Is that were, right? That's, yeah. Well, later, they started to all kind of pop up at once. Like, there were all these punk rock fanzines. So punk rock music wasn't really written about in mainstream music magazines, none of which I read. So it was magazines like Maximum Rock and Roll or, I mean, Option Magazine. There were, like, all these, like, underground music magazines, punk rock, skate punk, yeah. whatever, zines. And I thought, well, I want to do one like that, but I want to make one about film. Came up with this name, Film Threat. I, I designed a logo. And um, so, what grade were you? Senior, junior? I was like a senior in high school, and then it's like my next year. So you're this kid in Detroit. So then, yeah, and then you just say, "I'm going to make a magazine because no one is satisfying." Yeah, yeah, and then and then I was like, "Well, I'm going to." So I came up with the name, then I created a logo, and this is like me being lazy, and you know, I was like, "Oh, I should write some articles. What would the columns be?" I mean, it was just Xerox. Um, and it was so the first issue. I met, you, you did everything on your own. Did you have a, a, a artist, photographer? I mean, how did you do it? Like first couple issues. Well, I mean, it was all just done. Everything punk rock. I mean, like I even wrote a bad check to Kinkos. Kinkos actually took checks. Z- Xerox. Yeah, at the time they took a check, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I knew I didn't have enough money to pay for it, and yeah. I just paid for it with a bad check. And then I and then like I ended up like making good on it because I went back to that Kinkos. But um, yeah, it was weird. So let me ask you this: So you 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 made this first issue, yeah. And what 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 does one do? Because you, you don't have a website back then. So you have a, do you go to that comic book store or what? How do you? Yeah, I went around to different comic book stores. I went to Dave's Comics in Royal Oak. Um, I mean, there's a much longer story to how Film Threat started, which I want to hear. It. I'm working on a book. Well, I'm I mean, I met this guy Andre Seawood. Um, and he had a lot of articles he wanted to write, but he had no, like, outlet. And all of his articles were very political, and all of my articles were very comedic. I thought, well, let's about just film. sort of combine about got- film. Mm-hmm. So, so mine were more, like, jokes and weird, like, you know, um, like, I, I would do movie parody posters. So, like, The Color Purple came out yeah. at the time with... Uh, uh, Whoopi Goldberg? Yeah, Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, so, wow. I did a parody poster that just called it the colored people <laughs> right so and I so I would just do movie parody posters and I would write like goof stuff that was more comedic Andre Seawood had stuff that was very intellectual very political and I barely understood it at the time but I was like I liked that it was angry and I was angry that was the thing we were, we were connected and Andre I, I should say he's uh, I went to Wayne State University when this happened and he's black and I'm white and we were just like instant best friends we were just like mm-hmm. instantly like like we were into the same movies we were into like like just talking about film and at the time I mean I grew up I, the thing is this I had a, I believe I had a very good upbringing. My parents divorced when I was yeah. like, um, they separated when I was nine years old. My dad remarried when I was 12. My mother later remarried when I was in my early 20s. And, you know, it's that whole thing of two Christmases and all that. It was just like more family. And you just get used to it as a kid. Right. Um, and, but I didn't realize I kind of was dirt poor. Like... My mom was struggling, single mother, working, you know, as many, whatever job she could get. Like, she was a sales rep for a book company, so I was always surrounded by books. And she was very much into, um, uh, like, alternative culture, like, movies. She would, like, encourage me. I mean, I'm like, you know, don't go to the 
don't go see the movies at the mall theater. Go to the art theater. Go to the Detroit Institute of Arts. See screenings there. So as soon as I got a car, I got a car specifically so that I could drive wow. to go see movies. So you're very sophisticated. Yeah, she, yeah. My mom was like, she was the one that like pushed me yeah. to see. That, that was a huge influence on me. What but, about your dad? Was he uh, very uh, encouraging? No, he definitely. My my dad like you know was he read science fiction novels. He was into video games and computers. I had like this really good, but I didn't realize I was broke. Until I got to college, and it was just like, a lot of these kids have... Money. Like, they can afford stuff. They don't have to work. I I remember work, I was working three jobs in college at one, at one point. I still had... When I was 19, I had newspaper routes that I still had from the time I was nine. And I had money. Believe me, I had money, but I made it because I earned it. Yeah. So I was working newspaper routes. I would work restaurants on the weekends, and I worked at a video store called Thomas Video, which is this iconic, like... It's a video store that, like, Quentin Tarantino would go to the video store in Detroit. It was one of those that just, they, they carried eclectic stuff and porn. Are they still? And I lied. No, they're, they're gone. Uh-huh. But I lied to get a job there at Thomas Video. I'm bouncing around, but I lied. When I was 16 years old, I walked in, and they're like, you have to be over 18 to work here. And I said, I'm over 18. And then, uh, because of the pornography. Yeah. So they gave me a job. And... Uh, so that was weird. But like, but then I, when I got to college, I realized, like, oh, man, all these kids have money. So I was, you know, when I met Andre, we were just immediately, like, you know, just hung out. Like, we were inseparable. And we would do things to fuck with people, too. Wait, wait, wait. wait um, but can I... Yeah. How long, uh, how long after you made your first episode, I mean, first issue, I mean, how, how much time before you noticed you have some traction? Like, um, people, it was people, like, well, the first issue People actually out, reading like, wow, we like what you The first issue came out in February 1985. Okay. Um, that was the first issue. I'd been working on it before that. And it was just six pages. Um, and then it was like, okay, we have to produce these now. Is it every month? Is it every week? Mm-hmm. Whatever. It was like a fanzine. It just it went through all the stages of a fanzine. But but Andre at the time we did stuff like we had like the college police after us. I used to do this. This is a dumb thing that I would do in high school. Is we would go to a friend's house, and this is when people would just leave their doors unlocked. We would go to a friend's house and we would turn everything upside down. So this is a dumb thing. So we would walk in and there'd be like artwork on the walls. We would turn it upside down and furniture. So it looked like it was vandalized, but we didn't actually break anything. All or we did steal was anything. we didn't steal anything. We didn't break anything. We would just turn everything upside down. So we did that to the film office that had all the equipment. So everything was upside down in the room. And when you realize it's just like, oh, it's a dumb college thing. But they thought it was vandalized. And Andre and I did it. And we got... Uh, the college security after us for it, and then we would do. Wait, wait. So like, did you guys get caught? Then we caught? would do things did like you get caught. Uh, we didn't get caught, but we did confess to it and had to deal with a reprimand. Uh, but but also we would do things like um, uh, we would wear. We made these shirts that said in really giant block letters, "White person," and then Andre would wear a shirt that said "Black person." And then we would just walk around the campus wearing these shirts. And it was, I just thought it was funny. I mean, I guess you did could... They, did they find it funny? Uh, I think people did. I mean, it was like, you know, I mean, I, I just, I would, I, I think that the thing that it was always annoyed me are people that take themselves too seriously. So I'm always out to just, for the most part, fuck with people and, and get a reaction. And normally something that's funny and, and so... 
that carried over into doing film threat, and then all these sort of um, gags on campus that uh, got me in trouble or just got noticed. And we were just like, it was weird, you know. After a while, I even um, one of the other things I did, I faked my own death in college. I um, had a friend of mine who's a photographer. He like. He he took these photos of me as if I had jumped off of. They were black and white photos, and it looked like I jumped off of a building, and there was chalk around me, and then there was like I took a thing of jelly, like grape jelly, and splattered it on the ground, just splattered it. So and then I laid it with my head in the jelly, yeah. And then it looked like I landed on the ground. I looked dead. I mean, it was gruesome with chalk around me and everything. And I had, like, this ja- jacket that I wore all through college that said, Death to Hollywood Cinema. And it was punk rock at the time. And now I go see movies like Ant-Man, and I like Ant-Man, you know. So what is that? I think the old version of me would have punched me. But anyways, would punch me today. But anyway, so, so then I took that photograph, and I put it on a fake cover that I made of the South End, which was the Wayne State University college campus newspaper. So I faked a cover of it. And then I distributed flyers saying, um, to promote a, a film screening of mine, come see Chris Gore's last film. <laughs> and it was just like, and it's like, there's a flyer and it's me dead. Like, like, and it was shocked and people showed up and these flyers with me that had the cover, the fake cover Wait, of so me you're, dead. You're, you're, you're in the theater, right? Like, and then I showed up and people were like, we thought you were dead. So there's, so I'm working on this book now. It seems like I'm rambling, which I actually am, but there's a lot of these crazy early stories because I really didn't know what I was doing. When I was developing all this stuff, every stage I've kind of so so just like like, it's the book. It's about the history of the film thread, Um, about the history, and then also like all these just sort of crazy things I did. A lot of confessional stuff where I really kind of bullshitted my way to whatever um, you know perceived success that people think I have. So, uh, would you mind? When did you know, like, somebody requests a copy of it? You were kind of shocked that they wanted it? Well, yeah. Like, I got a letter from Steven Soderbergh. Um, how, did, how did he... Steven Soderbergh and John Waters. Um, but how did they find out, you imagine? Uh, because um, I began distributing distributing film threat to Kim's Video in New York. And that's a, another very famous video store at the time. And uh, people went to Kim's Video, and film threat was there on... For sale, along with other, a growing, you know, market of like psychotronic magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the cinema of transgression with Nick. Well, wait. So you're in Detroit. You're making these magazines. Do you? Did you personally took them to New York City, or you no, just? No, no. I, I mailed them. I mean, I shipped them. They were like, for some reason, for, for some reason, Film Threat got reviewed in some other fanzines. Because hmm. zines would review other zines, right? Right. So, so <clears throat> film threat got reviewed, and then we would get. I would get a letter that would be, "Hey, we'd like to order fifty copies," or yeah. and I would just ship them out. But yeah, Steven Soderbergh actually sent me a letter. He personally wrote you a letter. Yeah, he personally wrote me a letter. And, Did, and I think it was, this is before Sex Lies and Videotape came out, and I didn't even know it was him. And he basically sent this letter. It was a "fuck you" letter. It was oh, basically really? like. Fuck you, blah, blah, fuck you, and fuck film threat. Oh, and by the way, find, here's an enclosed check 
for all the back issues of Film Threat. So it was like this weird thing where he was telling me to fuck off. Why? Why was he telling me that? It was a joke. Oh, I mean, he was like, it was a joke. And like, by the way, I want to buy all the copies of your magazine because we would sell back issues. Um. So and, and John Water liked it too. Yeah, John Waters, I interviewed him for it. It was really awkward. I just didn't know what I was doing at the time. You know, I was like, I was learning to do things I needed, I should have gone to, should have learned like in a normal work experience, but I just put myself in that experience. I think I'm just, uh, when it comes to anything that I attempt to do, I seem, I tend to um, just do it and fail a lot until I do well at it. Sure. Which explains my comedy career. Failing a lot and not. You know, but I mean, uh, I do like, I, I, I know, do like, I, I like, you I, know what it's like, it's, it's funny in front of a crowd and I, I, and, and, I just think it's amazing. You. Like you're just this high school kid in the middle of nowhere, starting a magazine. Of course you wouldn't know some of the, um, basic interaction with others because you're basically a kid. It's not like you went to journalism school, right? Well, so, I did, what I did, I did buy a book. I mean, like, look, I, I was just, I, because this is weird. I paid for my own college. I think it comes from this. I paid for my own college. And because of that, because my parents were just fighting about who should pay for tuition, and I had got a little financial aid, but not enough. Yeah. And I was paying money in college. And one thing I noticed was they make you buy these really expensive books. The books are pricey. And then what you need to do is then you would read the book and regurgitate the contents of the book to a professor to prove that you had read the book. And I said, fuck this. I said, I, I'm just, to myself, I said, I'm going to just buy the books and read the books. So, I, so I, I, like, you know, just recreationally would buy a book on marketing. I bought a book about how to publish a magazine, and then I just read the book. I never took a class. So I just researched what books, and then I really, when I was in high school, I really wanted to go to USC Film School, because that's where all the big people went. I mean, Spielberg went there. Yeah. Right, but it's the most... One of the most expensive schools, like still is, yeah. The cinema school. If you go to that, it's basically it's basically for networking purposes. You're around people who will be working in the industry. Um, and I couldn't have. I mean, it was astronomical at the time. Right. Just, it would have been crazy. It still to is. It still is. It was well, never now. Changed. It's just. It's you know. You, you basically are in the elite if you just if you're able to afford it. Anyways. So, um, I, so, you, you, so you, I, I asked my mom. You, 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 taught, my, you taught yourself. My, my, uncle, my uncle had moved to the West Coast. And I asked my mom. We were out visiting my uncle in California. And we went to Disneyland and did touristy things. And I said, I want to go to the campus of USC. I just want to go to the bookstore and buy the books. So I went to the bookstore and I saw all the books for the cinema program. And I spent about $200 on books, which was, for me, a lot at the time in the yeah. 80s. And I couldn't afford to buy the rest of the books, so I wrote down the names of all the titles of the books and the authors. Yeah. And I read every single book that all of the kids who were studying in cinema studies at USC, all the books that they read, I thought, well, if I can't afford to go here, I'm going to read the same books that these kids read. Right. That's what I'm going to do. And you wrote, wrote, wrote. And I read, I read them all. And you wrote a book and about. I, and I, well, and I dropped out of college. Yeah. Later. I dropped out of college and then, because I thought I was so annoyed because I was paying, I was working like three jobs to pay to go to school so I could buy expensive books and then tell the professors what was in the book that I read. It's like, I can just buy the books. Yeah. So I dropped out of school, 
continued doing, put my money that I was putting for school into Film Thread, and then I, I, you know, I still continued to educate myself. Sure. I still continued to read things, and I was I was just a media junkie. I mean, now we have the internet, but at the time, I subscribed to fifty magazines. I mean, I was sort of I was crazy that way. So, um, and. So I was I was a weird kid. You're, t- you're talking about this period, like when I was like, you know, my late teens, early twenties, where I was just driven, um, and and film threat was my thing. And eventually, my whole thing with film threat was I wanted to quit and then do other entertainment related stuff. But for some reason, it, it just kept following me through various stages of my career. Well, and now, film threat no longer exists. But we did we did a Kickstarter that failed. If you go to filmthreat.com, it's just going to direct you to the Kickstarter that failed. I was because there. I tried to, yeah, I, I tried to raise money to bring it back, but but the good thing about that was it actually raised awareness of a film threat. And I don't know if I don't know if there's even a need for film threat at this stage. You know, I question. I could bring it back with some other investment, but I don't know. There's so many good film websites out there. What niche would film threat fill that isn't already being filled by the I think there are more there are more websites covering movies than movies are made annually. Just like there are more people doing podcasts than listening to podcasts. You know, I I, I think I'm not saying it's the same thing, but similar problem that AVN had. Like there was a point on the right. video news. There was a point in late '90s, early 2000s. AVN was it was the significant media player for the entertainment. They right. were so big, you know, and and, and the fact that the AVN used to have a they still have the convention, but I was talking to Luke Ford. He was another blogger about porn. He had a significant power back then. You know, he was mm-hmm. the who's that Matt Drudge? Yeah, yeah. He was like so the Matt Drudge, Drudge of porn. Yeah. I mean, people so they were scared of him because sometimes he will release controversial news and so on. But even if you work in AVN years ago and you're trying to come back and do something with it, there's just so many websites now. You know, yeah. and I think that's the that's where you're at with the film threat, right? Like, I mean, it just, I mean, there's just so many, like you were saying, like there's just so many websites. Yeah. But a lot of those are compromised by advertising. True. And a lot of them are just very, they, they don't offer perspective. I think film criticism, I think the real film critic is dead. There's very little really good film criticism. Um, I mean, I can think of the few writers that I respect: Jeffrey Wells, uh, James Rocky. Um, What's her name? Emily, Emily Nessabon from uh, New Yorker. What's that? Emily Nessabon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's there's still good ones out there, but really, it's the noise and the the social media has kind of democratized. Film. I mean, like they don't even use film critics in television advertising. Not anymore. They use quotes from Twitter, you know, in film advertising. You, there's really no credential. <clears throat> Credentials necessary. Not that I had any credentials, but I did study, and I I do try. The one thing I try to do with film thread is just offer a different perspective. Yeah. So here, everybody is saying this, and I would do something else. I mean, I'll give but don't you, a, you piss a, people sometimes doing that? Like, didn't you tell well, me only kid? a few times? But didn't you tell me Dude, that's like my whole career is pissing people off with the stuff that I would say in film threat. Uh, I mean, I definitely at the time, like I, I, I rubbed did you people tell me, the wrong uh, way. Did you tell me Kevin Smith got really angry with you? Yeah, him, Michael Moore, like people that like, and they would somehow get my home number and call me at home to yell at me. <laughs> Wait, so did Michael Moore call you? Yeah, yeah, he was mad about what? Something that was on the website. This was in like the late nineties. 
I don't, you know, I, I don't know, something... I, I, we all, I, I always like to, like, if everyone is saying one story, I like to get a different perspective. So... Well, I could, like, this is one thing I talk to people before about you, and they always laugh, which is, like, last year, remember, during the summertime, we were Star Trek convention? Yeah, yeah. And you were star of this, this um, panel, because everyone was very safe with what they were going to say about the topic. And, <laughs> oh, right, uh, and, 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 uh, and um, I don't even, I don't know enough for me to, like, feel one way or another, but Abrams of uh, Star Trek movies. Yeah, J.J. Abrams. Yeah, I have to admit, I was entertained by it, but... You bashed them? Oh, the second one I thought was terrible. It was an insult. As a Star Trek fan, it was a... The hardcore fan was just clapping their hands like... Yeah, of course, because I... Yeah, well, I... What I like to do is I... I just like to point out things that people... You you were like that guy from the medieval uh, 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 Renaissance Italy, Severona, that they're very religious, hardcore, and he was pointing fingers to calling people they're a heretic and things like that. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. And, I'm that guy. And then the the all, 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 all the hardcore fans were just clapping and cheering, for, and the rest of the panel, they didn't, they didn't want to give that strong opinion, but... Actually, that's why, you know, guys like Donald Trump is doing well, even though he's crazy. The people really want to hear the honest opinion about something. Whether well, yeah, I like, like, I liked, I mean, one, one, of my, one of my favorite elections was the one... 1932 uh, in Berlin, Germany. <laughs> no. No, it was uh, when Clinton ran the first time and Perot was a major factor. Oh, yeah. And they had the, the three-way debate. And he, as an independent, he was, I think he was afraid he was actually going to be president. And I think that I, he basically, he... He sabotaged. It was self-sabotage. That's why Perot lost. Um, but and, and, that three-way race and, and, was insane, and the debates were awesome. I mean, I really hope that Trump is the nominee because he, it, it'll it'll just it'll shake things up. Although I I have to admit that I do like Hillary Clinton. She's the most presidential of all of those people. She actually knows what she's talking about. And, and I feel like she's, I don't know. I, I, I still think it's going to be between Bush and Clinton. You think it's Bush and Clinton? Because uh, just... In the end, like, Trump doesn't really want to be president. Why would he want that job? He's has, he has to be diplomatic and po- political, and he's not able to do that. He's it's not... easy to say those kinds of things that is entertaining and catchy, yeah. but, well, uh, price you pay for that, you're not going to win. I still think, I don't care how rich he is, Ability to raise money is important, and I still think the Bush family, whether you like them or not, right. it's incredible. I mean, imagine if you get nominated. That's in one family. There's three candidates. Two out of three has one. No, right? Yeah. See, I'm against it just because I don't think that the United States should turn into like a monarchy where certain families, well, it's, 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 family like brand names. It's it's that's kind of BS. Well, Clinton's doing the same thing. So if this is a second, that's one, true. You know, except that she's the smarter of the two. True. <laughs> I, I'm not a fan. I'm not going uh, to. Clinton? No, no. Well, I, I think they're all compromised. They're all compromised by money and special interests. I, I don't have a, a whole other conversation. I don't have an issue with women running office. I just think there's other women who are more qualified. And, like Elizabeth Warren? I like I like her and I what respect. What is this her. podcast about? It's it's a, it's all, I should call it all over the place. Yeah, yeah. This one is all over the place. But, so I uh, apologize to anyone listening to this. Um, when you read my book, when it comes out, like two years from now, it'll be much more organized and a much more. I, I can't wait. I really I really want to read it and I, right. I and uh, whenever I'll write I write it for you, I, I remember. Um, 
whenever I mention like, oh, how did you do panel this and that, I mention your name, and like the one of the two things people would say is like film threat for sure. Yeah. And I, I didn't realize how influential that uh, magazine was. It was influential at the time because there wasn't an alternative voice for. And you give an honest for, opinion uh, for a long period of time. Yeah. And, and film threat was that that voice. And I remember seeing you in G4 before you even contacted me on Twitter. Um, you were making me laugh. It, it oh, was really? just that, like, I don't know. Well, the one thing I do like about what I was able to do on G4 is they pretty much let me say whatever I want. I mean, I couldn't swear, but I... Did it have any problem ever? Um, no, I mean, you know, I mean, sometimes it just wasn't, I wasn't entertaining. I don't know. I mean, it was, you know, they, for the most part, they would let me say pretty much whatever I wanted. Okay. You know, within reason. Right. I couldn't say, what, what would you say earlier, the cunts of comedy? <laughs> yeah. I couldn't say the cunts of comedy. <laughs> right. Um, I don't think the, that's going to be the name of the show, but... Well, are you sure? I think the cunts of comedy is good. Um, I don't want to talk too much about that project because I, I, <laughs> okay. it's, it's not really mine, but... Um, but you know, uh, one thing you did was you turn me turn me around about opinion about you want to be a coworker, which is Olivia. Yeah, I, 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 I've always liked. I've never had an issue with her, but I know that a lot of other people. Who well, it just made me laugh because I didn't realize she was just incredibly driven. But I think that she's more. Honest. I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that she was such a straight shooter. That's what I like about her. I, here's here's the thing. Here's the difference between. I would say that post G four, the two most successful are Hardwick and Olivia. Right. Yeah. Here's here's the thing with Hardwick, which is so. If he didn't think that you could help him get further an agenda that he was about, he would have no interest in talking to you or interacting with you. Okay. Right, because you would be useless to him. What about Olivia? Olivia would just be bold and upfront, and so she's like doing the same. She's very strategic yeah. in the way that Hardwick is. It's just that she's honest about it, whereas Hardwick is like. Nice, and I don't trust people that are super nice. I feel like there's something. It's like ah, you have an ulterior motive, and like Olivia's just like she doesn't like someone. She'll call them out. She'll be honest. She has this like unfiltered, and I love that about her. I loved it about her when she was on the show, and she's conducted her career that way um, to her benefit, and I admire her. Whereas like someone like Hardwick, I look at him and I think he's kind of a phony. I mean, I think he's just he's kind of a phony and a fake, and he's. He's strategic, and that leads to a certain level of success, but um, it doesn't lead to genuine friendships and whatnot. Um, I think I like Olivia, uh, Olivia because I've seen her uh, recently in that new outfit of hers. Oh well, I don't. I, I just she I looks great. She's, I love it that she's having this success. She's earned it. No one, no one on that show worked harder than Olivia. She was. I mean, the other person is Kevin Pereira, who I think is brilliant. He just hasn't. I, I, he's got to find that new thing. He's got this new show called The Attack, but like the attack of the show was really Kevin Pereira and friends. When he teamed up with Olivia, that was like chemistry that was amazing. Yeah. But there was a lot of behind the scenes issue. There were issues behind the scenes. I was like this small part of that universe, which I love. Be I'm like the Hawkeye. Of <laughs> yes, of G four. I love that's a really good I'm, reference. I'm pretty much like the Hawkeye of G four. You know, like let, let's be honest, right? So, so, um, but I, enjoyed, I like the like, fact that they would sometimes send you these exotic places, and I'm sure you didn't complain because it was a great way to travel to right, Vietnam. right, 
Right. No, I, but but I, 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 they, there's the reason that, that they sent me on these trips a lot. It's because my contract, everyone else had a contract, including Blair Herter at G4, that if they flew more than 500 miles, that they had to get first class or at least business class if available. Oh. So the reason that I flew to all these exotic places is they didn't have to give you first they class. They didn't have to give me first class. So I was. I didn't know that. I was on coach to Russia, Paris. New Zealand because it was coach. That's why. <laughs> I didn't know that. I thought they were sending their number one emissary. I was not their number AKA one. AKA Henry Kissinger of G4. Guy, I was the guy that saved their budget. So there's a whole other G4 conversation. Um, Are you going to put that in the book? I want to hear that too. No, I'm not. The book is about film threat. I'm not going to write about... I'm going to write a separate book about my TV adventures. Okay, good. So my two books are going to be Film threat. Film threat, and then my adventures in television. Right. And it'll be everything G4. So. And how long did you work for G4? I worked for G4 for almost eight years. It was like seven years, nine months. Oh, that, then I really have to. Uh, that I want to read. Yeah, yeah. And I know you're not going to hold back. You'll put all the juicy stuff it, in there. Yeah, I'm not going to. Yeah, so, um, yeah, uh, I have do, a lot do, do, to do, say do, about that. Um, do you remember? Um, you of course we all love watching uh, love Blue Velvet. Right? Yes, of course that was hugely influential to me. Remember the beginning scene, uh, Blue Velvet, when the guy's lawn, putting water on the lawn. It's a beautiful meadow. It could be anywhere in the middle it's of America, suburbia. It's yeah. beautiful, right? And the camera angles down lower, lower into grass, so the dirt, and the worms, and, and, and the all the, and but, but, this the other. It was, it's all about this hidden world that's uh, underneath this beautiful sheen. So, so all the lives of the characters in that, from the outside, were beautiful. Beautiful. And then when you get underneath, there's a dark side to everything, including this beautiful lawn. That's and that that that, that encompassed the theme. One of the themes uh, of Blue Velvet. Yes. And I love the ugly side of it, of yeah. everything. I don't want to, don't, sh- don't, Klaus Kinski talked about this. He had this famous phrase where it's easy to uh, uh, fake virtue, but the depravity is, is what really say a lot about you because pe- that's when people are being the most honest. And that's what I like. And you, I love when you, I mean, I don't like it at the time, but whenever I do panel, you throw me under the bus by asking me somebody. <laughs> I don't under the bus and what I'm trying to do is well, first of all most of those panels are boring and secondly it's more about like you being an um, um, uh, what's the right word like a, a, just it, I, I, I like to in, usually it's me that's the person but if I can be absolved of that responsibility and uh, pass it off on you I am kind of passing it off on you but I'm not throwing you under the bus I like someone who can be I, mean, I think I, I, I think who, who I, I think throwing me under the bus is a bit too strong but I have to say one of the greatest uh, thing I've done in podcasts on the panel the first time I, I worked for you at uh, um, one in Anaheim what is that one um, WonderCon with the um, uh, um, Asian curry, mm-hmm. and the first time I did in San Diego, Asian curry. I, I 
I think those two panels are just titanic. Oh my god! No, they were crazy. The WonderCon one, that one was like even. You can actually that's actually you can get if you look up Pod Crash, you'll find the WonderCon panel that you and Adrian Curry are on. You can listen to what we're talking. That about. That, that, that that was a really uncomfortable. That one was like a heavy hit because uh, because it was so packed. Right. And I was talking about a very uncouth thing, but it was almost like Godzilla versus King Kong. It was what <laughs> it really was. And she didn't know me. But like, I met her. I worked on Dave's old porn. She was there. But I was just, like, consulting on it. So I said, hello, whatever, take a quick picture. But I didn't really get to know her and went verbal jousting onto that one. But yeah. she's she's great. I, I, I think that was one of my memorable favorite things I've done in the last 10, 12 years in Southern California. It was, yeah. Well, we should do it again. Um, Let's do some more panels. I, I like having her on the show and just go at it. Um, um, before, uh, few, a couple more things, but um, why was this year San Diego Comic, I mean, Comic Con 2015 was so fun for you? Because well, I, I was only there for the last day, but... Um, I think it's because my I, I didn't have as much responsibility. And um, I actually... Well, I, well, actually, I've been tweeting for Wayward Nerd. Actually, if you... If you want to like follow the adventures at conventions, just go to waywardnerd.com. And what's her name again? Or uh, at waywardnerd. It's uh, Mary Wilkie who started the She's Wayward great. Nerd. She was really nice And to so I run their social media. It's all like tweeting about what's happening at conventions. I just had a good time because I got to go, I don't know, I, I, I don't know, just drinking, hanging out, like going to panels. I got to do all the fun things that I like to do. Like, everything that I would, like, check off on a box of, like, the most fun thing that I like to do at a convention, yeah. I got to do this year. I got to go to a big con- And I ended it seeing Guillermo del Toro wait, wait, in wait, Hall wait. H. Can, wait, can you pause for a second? I'm going to go yeah, to the bathroom. Yeah. But I do want to talk about him and Hall H. Oh, okay. Why don't, I, why don't you don't pause? Just go to the bathroom and I'll keep talking. Go to the bathroom. All right. All right. So, yeah. So, I'll, gi- I'll, give, you, I'll give you the uh, San Diego Comic-Con rundown. Uh, I got to go to Hall H to see Guillermo del Toro, um, and it was great. He was doing a Q&A for The Strain, uh, season two of The Strain on FX, and I snuck into Hall H at, at the last minute, which was fun. Um, I got to see a lot of cool stuff on the floor of Comic-Con, including a 1-6 scale uh, TIE Fighter and Millennium Falcon cockpit uh, from Sideshow Collectibles. That was amazing. Um, and just seeing all the displays, like, in real life is really cool. They had, like, the costumes from Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. They had, like, Wonder Woman's costume. And I think if you check Yoshi's Instagram or Twitter, Yoshi, when I was with him, did an upskirt of Wonder Woman, which was pretty funny, the Wonder Woman costume. I don't think you could see much. Um, then uh, there was the new Bat- the Ben Affleck Batman costume, and they had the Iron Batman costume as well. Um and Superman's new... I don't know. It was, it was awesome. Then I got to go to the Sharknado 3 party. Uh, and I met Ian Ziering there, uh, the author of How to Survive a Sharknado. So um, that was super fun. So got to go to a big party. Um, and then I like to do a thing where, like, just uh, just quick thing. I'm a big fan of urban camping. So if you're going to go to these conventions, any of these conventions, or any convention, actually... The hotel bars are pricey. It was seven fifty for a Coors Light at the Hilton Bayfront. Now, if you add in tip a dollar, which is customary, a dollar per drink, for tip that's eight fifty for one Coors Light in a bottle. What I prefer to do is buy a case of my favorite adult beverage, beer, and get 
other kinds of mixers and whatnot, keep them in my hotel room, and then you're going to save a fortune at the bar. What I always try to do is kind of get, I know if they're serving bottles, I always make sure to get bottles, so it's the, at least the same as what is served at the bar. But yeah, I, uh, that's, that's, I'm a big fan of urban camping. I don't like actual camping in the outdoors, um, not into hiking, or I, I consider myself an indoorsman. But yeah, I really do it right when I, uh, when I go to Comic-Con and do that. Um, other thing is, went to some other fun panels. I went to a panel about uh, the greatest films never made, and I wrote a book years ago called The 50 Greatest Movies Never Made, all about unproduced uh, movies, um, unproduced screenplays and movies that were maybe in the middle of filming. Um, the book's kind of out of date because it was written in the late 90s. Um, but um, there's some, some, stuff in, some stuff in there that I think has still never been, to this day, never been made that I think is incredible. I'm just telling everyone about Comic-Con and urban camping. We can switch topics now. Um, what, would you mind because I wasn't there but were you there for because everybody's been talking about Deadpool's trailer right did you see it I haven't seen it I'm no, not no. A, I'm not a huge fan of Deadpool I know everybody why, why loves it I don't know maybe it's because all the people that cosplay as Deadpool act like jackasses not that I don't also do that but I do it out of a costume I heard that the, the reason why they went excited and they asked them to no, uh, the trailer twice like yeah. is that this is a hard rated R and, and the kind of language that they use is like yeah it's going to be an R rated you know this is the first movie this is the first rated R cool. Marvel should, right yeah I think there should be a rated R Batman movie I'd love to see that one of these days you know I'd love to see rated R Batman I mean, can you think of, I mean, Dark Knight, to me, has so much subversive idea in it. It was, I mean, that's... The original, yeah, Dark Knight with Heath Ledger, yeah. Oh, my God. That, that was borderline R-rated. It was, it was, I mean, it was really, I was, mean, a lot of the violence in it, like, there just, there's no blood, but it's pretty hardcore. What, the, the pencil trick thing? Yeah, that was, yeah. A, that was a really... Uh, and he's, he's basically this, you know, mad serial killer. And it's one of those films where the hero actually was on the run, literally, yeah. because Joker pretty much dictated. I know. I know. Sometimes you have to be crazy to have a principle and an idea that you actually mm-hmm. hold on to, to the point of actually hurting you. But Joker actually believed in it. That was. That's why he was such a difficult character to defeat. Right. He didn't care about money. He didn't care about fame. You know what I mean? Like. That was, a, to me, is there anything that is considered greater than that movie when it comes to so-called superhero? Uh, it's, it's, it's probably my favorite superhero. It's got to be the number one. It's, it's, I can't think anything that has that kind of weight. I think it's the first serious superhero movie that it, it just tried to be a good movie in spite of being about these fantastical characters, you know? Like, just make a good movie that is a movie that would appeal to people that don't care about superheroes, right? I mean, it's a crime film. You know, on the level of like, it's it's very reminiscent of early seventies crime movie. Yeah, and and um, I'm glad that it was played that way. I think it's a testament to, to Chris Nolan's, you know, um, his his skills as a director. Heath Ledger was such a legend. Yeah, I mean, the way he created that character is, is, is insane. Um, I mean, he won an Oscar posthumously, but because I don't know the origin. I don't know backstory. Watchman. I, I finally read the comic book and everything. Mm-hmm. But did you like that movie? I am not a big fan of that movie. I, I think the movie it feels like a big fan film to me. I I love the comic book, but the reason that movie's not 
it doesn't succeed in my mind is because the comic book wasn't written to be a movie. The comic book was written. written uh. The ideas in the comic book are about because it's a comic book about comic books. It 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 you know. It presents this, here's a world where superheroes actually exist. And right. in a world where superheroes exist, there aren't superhero comics. There are pirate comics, right? This is a completely alternate reality where Nixon was able to hold on to the president. Right, the history is like but, alternate yeah, history. It's yeah. alternate history of the United States as if costume vigilantes in the 40s actually were real things, Right. Um, and I, I love it. It's, and it's really about, I mean, the, the themes and the deeper ideas in Watchmen. Because I interviewed Alan Moore, actually. You did? Yeah, I interviewed Alan Moore. This is, this is way back in Film Threat. This is getting back to Film Threat. This is in the, in the, in the late 80s when... Um, well, but when, when did that comic book was released? It was like in the mid-80s. So you interviewed was, him was, after that? I interviewed like after Watchmen came out. And it was so, I mean, like, I... I I, when I read The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller and when I read Watchmen, I said, I will never see movies better than these comic books. These comic books are so engaging. Yeah. The imagery is so insane. I mean, look, there's a reason that Zack Snyder is basically lifting everything out of The Dark Knight Returns. Frank Miller, I mean, it's like that he, I mean... I'm not a fan of his. I'm not a fan of Zack Snyder. It's like, because he's so true to the stuff. It's like, well, what are you bringing to it? You know, what are you bringing to it that's a different take? He's not bringing anything to it. He's just doing an accurate representation of the comic book. That's a fan film. Yeah. You know, like, what ideas are you bringing? At least Chris Nolan sort of did a greatest hits of Batman and added new ideas of his own and created something fresh and original, but it's basically a greatest hits of Batman is what Nolan did. And in in a great way, he did it perfectly. Whereas Zack Snyder, I think, is like, I'm Present, you know, I'm not really adding much of my own. Mm-hmm. Well, I see, I like that new trailer, but but um, at the time, um, oh, uh, do you more, remember more, your interview more? My interview, yeah. When I interviewed Alan Moore, here's, and I interviewed actually Charles Bukowski the same way. Oh <laughs> my! This is an early issues of Film Threat, so yeah. it was a dollar to two dollars to make a phone call to San Francisco per minute. Right. And Alan Moore lived in London. It was like two or three dollars a minute. Jesus. And that, I mean, back in the eighties. Yeah. So when I was interviewing, people, no, no, this this sounds this sounds so alien to young people. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. yeah. So so imagine this. I typed questions. I took like ten sheets of paper, and at the top of every sheet of paper, I would type one question. And you have a middle, bunch of space. And a bunch of space. Then I type a second question. Like English. Yeah. Test. So each each paper had like two questions on it, one at the top and one in the middle. And I would send it with the self-addressed stamped envelope to me. And I mailed it to Charles Bukowski. I mailed it to Alan Moore and other people because I couldn't afford to do a phone call. Wait, how do you do Alan Moore? Because the stamps have got to be English stamps. Well, yeah. Well, no. I mean, you could you could mail something to London from the United States. Right, right. But so when I mailed you- them in an envelope like these, these questions, right? So... I mailed I mailed all this stuff to uh, to Alan Moore and then and then Alan Moore sent back and he asked for a free subscription to Film Threat which of course I gave him and um, wow so, so he knew about the magazine too oh yeah yeah Alan Moore was a fan wow crazy yeah no it was weird it was weird the Film Threat definitely was there were all the other movie magazines well the thing is is that the the, the, the movie magazines the, the, the movie websites at the time tend to do this too 
if there's something in the zeit, if there's something in the big zeitgeist, they just write about it. If a publicist is saying, "Hey, Ant Man is coming out this weekend," everybody writes about Ant Man. But what Film Thread always did was, we're going to talk about Ant Man, but we're going to talk about a completely different take on Ant Man. When we're going to talk about like the sex lives of the superheroes yeah. or some weird comedic thing, and then we're also going to talk about like some obscure movie you haven't heard of, a French film called Ant Boy, which is an actual movie. Look it up. Look up Ant Boy. It's a French film that was released in the United States and in limited release. You should look look that up. But if I was doing films right now, I would be including content that not everyone is aware of. So it's sort of like let's take it a level deeper. Whereas most mainstream movie outlets are like, here's what's at the movie theater. So you're going to write about 400 movies. Can I give you an example? What what, yeah. what you did? When Jay- so that's what we did. And there are, there are other websites out there. Like uh, my personal favorite movie website is Slash Film. I think they really own. They go to Sundance and South by Southwest. They cover um, the they cover the mainstream releases, but they give some alternate takes. I think Slash Film is very good. Let me give it, let me give an example of what you did. It's the yeah when JFK was assassinated. Just about yeah. every journalist. Where, how are you gonna? Okay, every journalist wrote basically similar thing. I don't recall the name of the journalist, but he interviewed the grave digger, the guy who actually had to bury JFK, and yeah. it, it was a really interesting take, like from his. Angle, and when Robert Carroll, who wrote a biography on Lyndon Johnson, um, it was interesting to read the assassination from perspective of LBJ when he's you know they're just basically cra- grabbing him, and all the Secret Service just popped out of nowhere, and, and like it, the transfer of power happened so quick, mm-hmm. and from his angle, when I read it. I never really thought history from his angle until I read it that way. But, you know, the common way to look at it is like JFK, his wife, from that angle. So, like, going back to Gravedigger, it's always nice when everybody's writing the same thing, but you give a fresh, different way of... Well, that, that, that was always my perspective. Because mm-hmm. the whole thing is I couldn't compete with Entertainment Weekly or Premiere Magazine or, or American Film. The main But there's no limit to creativity, so that's what you're That's doing. exactly mm-hmm. it. So what I tried to do was be creative. Yeah. So, I mean, that's always been... To me, I've never... Well, a few times I've, I've, I've had projects where I actually had a budget, but most of the time I've never had a budget for anything I've ever done. So I have to just be creative in order to stand out. And that's... And, and I really want to thank you... Yoshi, for championing all this stuff. If this is my last time on this podcast, I have to thank you for for having me as a, as a recurring guest. And I also have to give you props for your, your... First of all, it's an honor to be on this podcast because you're one of my favorite comedians. Whenever I go see these comedy shows, and you see kind of the guys that do your typical jokes about dating and relationships and, you know, your typical stuff... Or like, you know, whatever's in the news, yeah. you know, and then you get up. My favorite thing is not just to watch you perform, but to watch the audience watch you perform because it's hysterical to see. I know because I know your material now. And when I see well, you the know, audience, you, you kind of know me, too, you know, and I know you, too. And I know I can see when you hold back, too, which always like you should not hold back. You got to just like go. You got to go full. Balls deep when you're doing your comedy. Can I, um, I know when, this is some conversation I had with Esty Cool, that, that uh, Korean-American female uh-huh. comic, that Asian guy, some of the Asian guys don't like her. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a fan of Asian material, but um, 
Do you remember a couple months back when Louis C.K. hosts SNL? And did you? Yes. Did oh, you, I saw that that bit he did about child molesters. Okay. Easy thing if you're a writer, a journalist, to say, you know, how dare he writing this material and attack him, right? Mm-hmm. My take of the whole experience, I completely understand where he was going with that because this is something that um, Steve Martin talked about. He said, after a while, he was such a big star and he was selling out every show. It didn't really matter what he said. They were going to laugh anyway. So it was really hard to gauge what's funny anymore because... Uh, when you do new material and it's not quite clicking, the audience will give you honest reaction to it. But if you're a star, you you're no longer giving the opportunity I, anymore. I, I feel that way about like like so that so when he did those like really difficult stuff to laugh, I gave him a lot of respect because I don't think he was yeah. just sit, I don't think he was merely trying to offend people, but he was challenging himself by talking about something that is very very difficult to laugh yeah and 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 it, it was brilliant and funny to me but I, I i really respect him because very similar to what tiger woods there was a year when he was dominating there was not even close second competition he was so good only way he could challenge himself was that he changed his swing differently to make himself better so he was struggling like when he changed his swing seven, eight, nine, ten months, and everybody's like, oh, you're going to keep doing it that way, you're going to keep losing, but about a year later, he was even better than a year before, you know, so I think, I, I like when people challenge themselves by doing something very difficult, um, and I think you you do the same thing because it's easy, the easier road is to say things that people want to hear. It's always easier to say things that Directors and PR and uh, marketing people. Well, I you say they want we to kind of. We were kind of. I think Film Threat was kind of the precursor to the and Film Threat. If you read mm-hmm. it, the old issues of the magazine is like the internet's attitude before the internet existed, and we were an irritant really to those publicists and never cooperated whenever it came to you know. We so you never make, you did, never you, did, you, did have, you did have PR people contact. Oh yeah, we had PR people contacting us eventually, but begrudgingly, but they always wanted to control it because that's the way things always were. We give you this talent, you're going to do what we say. You're going to make them look good, they're going to do the cover story and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, that's not, I, I would never agree to those terms. So I would always do, when we covered, when we covered Batman, uh, we covered Batman Returns. And when I, when I covered the first Batman movie, I actually snuck into the, snuck a camera into the theater, took photos from the trailer, and then put those, and I put Batman on the cover of Film Threat. That was like 89, wasn't it? That was 89, yeah. yeah and then we I covered remember. Batman Returns, and I had two guys who were extras crash the set and then write an article. So, yeah, it was, it was interesting. So, so I was always looking for that, and that's... I, I don't know that, it, like... Like, I think creatively... The thing is, is I have always sought creative um, satisfaction over financial satisfaction yeah I'm also not saying that's the best way to go like like now that I'm like you know I'm, a, I'm about to turn 50 you yeah know, in in a few months and I'm like and I look I'm like god I've done all these things and there's so many people that at least think that I'm successful and and I think you know I just look and I go god I, I, I just wish I you know paid more attention to making money and look, and don't feel sorry for me. It's not like I'm broke or anything, but it's like, wow, like I should have really, maybe if I was more strategic about X or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
Some people might say that. Other people, maybe you should have been more shameless. But it, it, it's a quite a sight when I hang out with you at the Comic Con. People just kind of walk up to you and want to take pictures and stuff, you know, because I could definitely tell they're hardcore fans and they really appreciate what you did. Oh, the magazine and show, you know. Um, but I mean, what's 50? You know what I mean? Like, people live a long time. And I think you, 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 you're you sitting on this course where you're doing stand up, you're working at two books. And I don't understand um, why why there aren't more TV shows kind of clamoring to have you on the show, you know? Like, I, I, don't, uh, I just don't pursue it. I, I really well, like, I think after then, G4, then, then, then you should pursue it. I just decided, it. nah, I don't really care. I mean, I don't know. I don't have any representation. I don't know how to do that. I don't really. Also, I look at the landscape now. I don't want to be some douchey host on some TV show. I want to I want to do a show where I can be myself. G4 allowed me to do that. I, I was unhappy doing television when I was doing it for other people. When G4, when I got in the groove within the first year or so, I got to be myself on camera. That I enjoyed doing. And that actually is what happens from doing stand-up comedy. You know, this, Which is why I gravitated towards it. And so many people... I, the reason I... A lot of people just said it was Jonah Ray who actually got me doing stand-up. He put me on at uh, Meltdown. Yeah. Him and Kumail's show. Um, and can, you, can, you, can you still kind of call and say you want to do a show at Meltdown you could do it? Uh, I guess I could, but I don't know, man. Like, those nerd, that Nerdist thing is like... Nerdist is like a whole other mafia thing that I'm not a part... I'm not part of the family. I'm not part of the Nerdist family. But they're not say don't. It definitely feels like, like it's a clique, and I'm not... I'm on the outside of that clique. You know, because I speak my mind on stuff. You know, I don't. So you don't think you're overreacting? Because if you show up, yeah. I'm sure they will put you on the show. Would they? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't. I don't know. I. I don't. I don't know. I guess. I would love to get on the show, but like, uh, well, well, why don't we go together? You and be, I will go together because they're like considered like like the hottest room right now in LA. Yeah. Yeah. I should, and it probably doesn't help that you're saying stuff about Chris. <laughs> I don't. Uh, I'm just honest. I don't I'm think not saying he's a bad guy. He doesn't. Care. He doesn't care. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm saying that. What he, did he? He sold his thing for what, twenty million. Some. I'm sure he's laughing all the way to bank or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But on I, that I, note, no. But I look for I, Yoshi and I at the meltdown. Never. I'm still going to go that way. But that's why I enjoy doing stand-up is because I enjoy doing stand-up, I enjoy podcasts, I enjoy writing because it's unfiltered. It's unfiltered and no one can tell me you can't write this, you can't say this on stage, you know. And the thing I enjoyed about G4 was it was live TV. So when I got to do it, it's like I'd come in at 3.30, go into hair and makeup, I'd be waiting at 4 o'clock for whenever my segment was going to start. As soon as my segment was over, I was done for the day. But but more importantly, I could say whatever I want. They couldn't stop me from saying things. One of the things I did... Wait, they don't re-edit? If something happened, they would re-edit. But I, I, would, I could mispronounce swear words on the show. So I would do that all the time. I would say, like, Shafid mm-hmm. on live TV. And they were like, oh, Shafid. Oh, shithead. <laughs> so I like that. I like the ability to be unfiltered and be able to be myself on camera. And that's why... I enjoy stand-up and writing and um, creatively not having uh, filters. Why, why, why was that G4 thing ended? I don't understand. The rating was still good. I, I have no idea. Who that's, made that's, that decision? That's a mystery. You know what? I'll get into it in my second book, but it's not going to come out for a couple of years. Jesus. But you gotta, you, we got to get going. We're, we're supposed to go see a movie. Um, 
one 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 last thing. It's just a quick note. How was this year's E3? Because I've been asking people because I can't get in. So well, I mean, it was it was fine. I, I don't think that there was. I didn't see anything that was super killer. I think that the next generation systems have arrived, and uh, now they're nearly at a price point that's affordable and. I Very sad that what's his name for Nintendo passed away recently. Yeah, yeah. But I don't really, I mean, in terms of, like, big stories from it, there's not, I mean, it's like, hey, the industry is healthy and strong. That's the news. And going back to the San Diego Comic-Con, how come there was no uh, Marvel presence this year, supposedly? No, they had a Marvel booth, but there was no, Marvel was not at the convention. It's because Marvel is going to be at D23 in Anaheim in August. What's that? They don't need, D23 is... Disney fans getting together to do a convention. It's the same as WonderCon. It's one. It's at the Anaheim Convention Center, just like WonderCon. So it's this also is, they can control it. So this is all with like everything under Disney, right? Like Marvel, Marvel Pixar, Marvel, Pixar, Star Wars. Star Wars is all going to be at D twenty three in August, and I'll be there. Wow, how much go. is the ticket? Uh, it's cheap. You should go, Yoshi. I definitely want to check it out now. Uh, but but I just want to. I was trying to end the show in a way like I'm just like thanking you for having me on as a recurring guest and and uh, look for Yoshi and I doing stand up at some point. Probably not meltdown, but some other place. But you know, I, I, and follow me on Twitter at that Chris Gore. I, I, I don't want to be those pockets where you know what uh, we're just saying nice things about each other. But I think I can say bad things about you. But you, you, you can I say something bad you, about you? You, you? you did. More, I'll say something bad about you. You did more. F- <laughs> you get more um, favorite for me because uh, I mean I knew who you were but like I'm not going to just contact people on Twitter but the fact that you contacted I me, contacted you because I was a huge fan of you on DVD ASA and I think meeting through you I, I, I got I mean I was going to San Diego Comic Con but I didn't know anyone so I just I was like like any other fans kind of watching other people but through you I was able to like meet people like I'm slowly learning. I'm, I feel like I'm drowning in the knowledge of this, like, the nerd culture. Mm-hmm. I know just enough surface level, mm-hmm. but hanging out with you, it's, it's been helping me a lot, like, l- learning more about Here, it. Here's, the, here's, here's the thing I want to say. Mm-hmm. I'm angry with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm angry with you because I think you should be way more successful than you are. Yeah. I see how other comedians respect you, right? Well, when they meet me. When they know. meet you. Well, after they meet you. But I'm saying they respect you yeah. and they they are fans of you. And I've seen you, I've seen you kind of die, but I've seen you for the most part kill. And I think you should be far more successful than you are. And I feel like, I don't know what it is in you that is, I feel like the ending of your podcast should be a wake up call. You got to put out an album or a special, yeah. or get representation, or something. I mean, I, you're really good at, like, like, and I love hanging around with you. And when we go to places, like, you and I collectively know different groups of people, so it's fun. I always meet new and interesting, cool people through you, and I feel like you do through me. Um, we're, and I feel we're, like, in some ways, I've said this before, we've, we're, we've, we've we're, crashed uh, in hotel rooms before, we've done stand-up together. I feel like, in some ways, you're like the brother I never had, but I, I, but I look at you, and I'm like, why aren't you more successful? And I know as, that you, as like, you struggle. Net, I, 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 like, I know I, as, as far as the, uh, networking goes, we're, we're kind of like the Oakland A's of Moneyball kind of thing, where we have very little money, but we're able to like... The, I, but I feel like, like maybe... straight maybe, up and meet other people. Maybe no, no, I know, I, know what you, I know as far as comedy goes, I know what you're saying. Um, but like maybe I, my, I am maybe working my, on it. But I, maybe my anger with you... Mm-hmm. It's never about the other. It's always about yourself. It's probably anger at myself 
for not being more successful than I am. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I've been rudderless since G4 ended. You know, I put out a comedy album and, you know, I started this social media company helping people with their social media. Doing and a bunch of panels. I've, did, I've did, done panels and I continued doing Pod Crash for yeah. a while. Uh, I had some failed relationship that, that helped derail a little bit, but that's, Asians. Not, that's not an excuse. But, like, I've been kind of rudderless in my career yeah. and maybe I see that in you and that brings out, like, a, like Yoshi should be more successful. Yoshi should have a special. I look at some of these fucking half-assed comedians that Comedy Central puts up. Those, like, specials where they have, like, three comedians for 20 minutes and their comedy is shit. And there are some names we'll have to talk about after the podcast ends where I'm like, I cannot believe this is an hour special on, on Netflix. This is the worst stand-up. Like, terrible stuff. And then I've seen you and, oh my, your 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 comedy is choose, groundbreaking. Choose, choose, choose separate things, right? Being yeah. good at what you do and the entertainment business side, you know, right? There's like, there's like being good, yeah, and that is a totally. It's something I talk and about I think, in my book, the Ultimate Film Festival Survival Guide. I talk about it in my book, like, like the book is not about how to make movies. Those are there's other books, there's other ways to yeah. get information about that. Here's how to manage the business. Here's how to manage the business when it comes to film festivals and getting your independent film out and and, and having a career. Yeah. So so yeah, it is like, and the people like Hardwick, Hardwick. In my opinion... He's brilliant when it comes to that stuff. He's brilliant when it comes to the business. A genius. I'm not even being sarcastic. The guy's a genius. I don't think he's a very good comedian. I can quote Patton Oswalt jokes. I can quote jokes that you've done. I can quote Louis C.K. jokes. I can quote jokes I've heard other comedians... You know, Doug Benson. I can quote so many comedians my favorite jokes. I couldn't tell you one joke that Hardwick has done that has made me really laugh. He's sort of baseline as a comedian, but extreme, like when it comes to resource, he's a great host. He's, I think, I think he's, a, he's an amazing interviewer. Like he has, uh, and he's an incredible business person, not the best stand-up comedian. I, but I, I mean, it's whatever, Luke, it's, it's like a resource management thing. You know, you're going to have talent in different, you know, my, you know one, one of my friends, levels. Uh, we'll finish with this. My friend Tracy Tuff told me about how funny American Dad was, mm-hmm. and I didn't know anything about it. And I was looking at LA Times, and they had, the Paley Center had, uh, um, they were interviewing like five or six different shows where the, the cast of the show, showrunner and director, and you know, writer on the show would show up and talk to the fans. And one of them happened to be American Dad, and I didn't know Chris Hardwick, but he was hosting it. I have to admit, he was excellent. Like I didn't know who the who, which character, whatever. But while he asked all the right questions, that made me laugh. You know, so I think that's a, another skill in itself. Like some people could do stand up, but maybe they can't act. Maybe there's others who could act, but they can't do stand up. I think the key is know what you're good at, what you're not. Right. Work on what you're really good at to become uh, great at it. But the business, I, I have to admit. Um, but if you don't have the business side, you're, yeah. you're, you're and screwed. That, and that's one of the reasons why I'm ending the podcast, because uh, um, you'll definitely hear the last two episodes. <laughs> oh, I'll be listening. The, the, are you going to do something for your last episode? Are you going to do like a live event? You should do a live event that you invite fans to. Like the very last I don't think, I don't think I have that kind of fans on it. I don't and, then, and then have them come to a place. 
I I will uh, promote it for a little bit, and we'll do it on Periscope. Let's do, it, let's do it like a live, like it's a live show. I don't know. Here's what we do for the last episode of Yoshi Didn't. I have an idea for you. We announce on Periscope, and I'll do it too, that we're recording the last episode of Yoshi Didn't, and it'll all be questions from fans. So you can tweet questions yeah. to you. You can ask questions via Periscope, and we'll actually. I'll like I'll I'll like host it with you. It'll all be you being asked questions by me, by the internet, and by Periscope. How about that? How, how about and that way you're answering all the questions, right? How about um, how about that? And that's and that's Yoshi didn't. You should be the you should be the sub the how, subject. How, how about it's we, all about you, Yoshi. How about you? Oh, I've got the questions I want to ask. How about that, that you have not addressed on the show? How about that's what we should do. How about um. We could probably ask our friend at uh, Brea Improv. Yeah, you want to do it there? We could do like uh, half stand up. And we do it like it's not like one of their featured shows, but like maybe before, like at six o'clock or something. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, something. And we'll just do it. And we'll take questions from Periscope and Twitter. Okay, so Yoshi didn't fans. Look for, and we'll, I'll tweet about this. You'll tweet about it. Yeah. Um, look at our Twitters at Yoshi didn't, at, I wasn't or, no, at Yoshi Obayashi. What's your uh, Twitter? I don't even yeah. know. Yoshi Obayashi, yeah. Yoshi Obayashi. Or at that Chris Gore. And we'll, we'll like, let's do it. Or you can email me dumbyoshi at gmail.com. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then just like, it'll all be Q, it'll be a Yoshi Q&A. And you're going to answer all the unanswered questions. I, I think if we do that, it's going to be September then. Because, um... All right. Let me know. I want to, I want to be there, man. This is, because, uh... Because that is a couple questions you've never this publicly... Is, this is episode 140. This will be episode one. This will be a good energy if you do it live. Yeah. Maybe you could do it at iOS, if not. But Bray Improv is... I mean, I don't know. You get, keep, keep listening to the show or follow the Twitter. I, or, I think if they heard episode 149... <laughs> they'll they'll want to come to the episode. I don't Leave know a little about bit that, of a gap. Leave a little bit of a gap, like, like a couple weeks. No, but I... I Oh, for sure. I mean, um, it might it might be even like one month after that one, right. but if everything, I don't want to say if everything goes right, but um, no, the, the the best part would be if everything went wrong. You you got to actually end the show. Hey, so Yoshi, it's just been you got to end it. Yeah, episode. thanks. Uh, uh, just wait for the penultimate. Is, is that how you say it? Yes, penultimate. Penultimate. Uh, that'll be episode one forty nine, and uh, and then episode one fifty will be an all Yoshi Q and A via Twitter. Periscope, email, however the questions are going to... And we'll have, like, a list of questions. And it might even be a two-part yeah. final episode if it goes long. All right. I mean, if, if you... If serious. You, if you handle it, then you could do it, but... The, um, Yoshi didn't the final episode. All right. And then it's, like, basically it'll be a gravestone with, like, the Yoshi didn't podcast, however, what the years are. All right. <laughs> to end on that note, uh, thank, if, thanks if, for if having me. If you want to do it, that's cool. All right. Cool. Um... Everyone just uh, listen to Chris Gore's podcast whenever he releases them. But uh, make sure to uh, just follow Chris, especially convention. The, the website you promote, uh, Wayward, Wayward Nerd. Yeah, just this, this is great because you guys uh, will end with this <laughs> finally. But the panel that went, you and your uh, business partner, explain mm-hmm. all the things. Because I think for a lot of fans, they're still mystified how that works. Yeah. And people are very upset because they can't get passes to San Diego Comic Con. So mm-hmm. if you need help with it, Chris is the guy. Seriously, you're the guy. If you Not get, me, but the website. The website. Wayward Nerd. Yeah, right. follow that website because, yeah. uh, and I, I hope eventually down the road, you, also, you guys will start covering convention overseas because there's a lot of interesting stuff in London. 
London and Japan as well.、So. And Yoshi, thanks for having me on the show. All right, thanks, guys, and、uh, talk to you guys soon. Bye.